welcome. This is episode number four of What Would You Say You Do Here? Today we're going to be talking about working with engineers. I'm Katie Sally. And I'm Aaron Zerlip. And just a quick reminder, you can find all our latest episodes at theproductmanagers.com. So this is a topic I think that's near and dear to both of us since we work with manager engineers, since we work with engineers all the time. And I uh, thought this would be a helpful topic uh, to discuss and share some best practices for working in a heavily engineering-focused environment. So when we first brought this up, the the first thing that came to mind, Aaron, you said was you have sometimes you have to start by teaching the company or the engineering team what product does. And I think my words were, I hate this. I hate that we have to do this. That is what you said. <laughs> you told me we live in reality and not a fantasy. So yes, sometimes that's the very first thing you have to do. Yeah, unfortunately, like a lot of times they don't know, uh, engineers don't know what a product manager is or, or what you should be doing. If it's if the product team is uh, young or uh, not fully developed uh, within your organization, setting them down, talking about, you know, the ins and outs of product management, explaining that, no, we're not project managers. I mean, although that is, like we said, part of, you know, part of our responsibilities. Absolutely. So in addition to building out your short-term and your long-term roadmaps, which of course we know that we do, and hopefully the engineering team knows that we do as well, we're also the voice of the customer. I think that sometimes that can feel a little cheesy to say, but I also think that it's very accurate and very important. Yeah, I, and I, I have found that being the voice of the customer, or at least providing access to the voice of the, the actual customer is often one of the most valuable things uh, you can do in order to expose your engineers to actual customer mindset and like business problems. Absolutely. I've, I've almost felt guilty that uh, whenever I have an engineer on a customer call, just about how excited they get to have that exposure to the customer. You know, I feel like that's something that needs to happen more often than it probably does. And so it's just, there's just not enough time. There's not time for them to always be on every single customer call, but whenever possible, it's great to include them so that they can get that firsthand exposure to how a customer is dealing with problems that we're trying to solve rather than just hearing it, you know, from the product manager. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've made it a practice to always invite either the engineering lead or maybe the whole team to a customer call if I know that the topic is something that they'll be working on in the near future. Yeah. And oftentimes uh, I find that they're really excited at just the opportunity to be included in those conversations and, and to hear directly from the customer without just, you know, getting a filtered set of notes from you afterwards. Yeah, that's a good point. What about being the voice of the business? That's important too. And I think a lot of that is coming from uh, the roadmap that you are defining. If it's like a long-term roadmap or a strategy beyond just like, what are we building in the next couple of months? And that's really important because it gives them insights into how do we want to grow and scale? What are new markets we want to enter that might require new products or new infrastructure? And I think they engineers often feel included when you share that insight with them. Um, and it allows them to plan for, you know, more long-term technical planning. Yeah, that's a very good point. So I think one of the the most 
I guess, tricky, difficult situations is when you're actually working in a very heavily engineering focused environment. So less product focused, more engineering focused, you know, and sometimes that's uh, what I've done in my past couple of jobs, which is working on backend teams. And sometimes that's just the nature of the product that you happen to be working on. Yeah, definitely. And so I think something that I found to just be helpful as a product manager in those kind of environments is know like know the domain that you're in right if you're just building a set of like apis and sdks know what those letters mean yeah. <laughs> know how people use them yes know the basic like protocols of whatever it is that you might need to start to have to speak the, the engineer's language um and that that will all That'll get a lot of respect from them. It will. And also, if you don't know those things and, you know, you maybe you've tried to search them out yourself, the answers to those questions, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to admit that when you don't know something, because that's always going to gain more respect than pretending you do and then finding out later that you didn't and something has gone wrong because of it. Yeah, I think uh, one challenge that you will encounter is that oftentimes... That, as we said, you'll be confused for a project manager. So there might be a resistance to trying to build a schedule or implement some kind of agile ceremony uh, where you're getting a status update at some kind of interval. Uh, I found that most uh, engineers have had a terrible experience with this in the past. So true. And are very, very reluctant to, uh, to do that. And so uh, some might fight you. If you are yeah. trying to uh, measure the uh, the status of something. Nothing against project managers, but that is the focus of their job. And because that is the focus of their job, they are constantly asking for those status updates. And to an engineer who's been you know, dealing with a project manager solely, that transition to product, they can start thinking that that is only what you're asking is just the status. When is it going to be done? Rather than talking about quality and looking at roadmap and dealing with customers and all the other functions of the job. Yeah. And one, one helpful topic to bring up in these cases is that by understanding like the the status of certain projects, you won't you can that can prevent you from overloading the team or specific engineers with too much work because you understand yeah. like oh no you're still working on this and you have another two weeks left uh, even though in your you know your Gantt chart it might have shown that you're supposed to start you know the next project today. Yeah, one thing I do when I'm asking for status, especially if I know that a particular engineer is overloaded or the team is busy or anything like that is to tell them why I'm asking. I need a status update to give to the you know my higher ups or the marketing team. I'm not rushing you. I'm not asking you to get it done any faster. I just want to know a general ETA just so that they know why you're asking instead of them interpreting your asking as saying that it needs to be done faster, which I think is a lot of defaults for, for some engineers. Yep. Well, and there's also a resistance to do things just because they need to be done. So especially in a heavily engineering focused environment, being that, you know, voice of the business or whatever, sometimes there are things that need to be done because we need to stay competitive. Uh, we need to make our existing customers happy. We need to make the founders happy. Sometimes there are reasons that are not really clear data-driven reasons. They just are things that have to be done. And I have found that a lot of engineers are very resistant to that type of work. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever worked in a company that didn't have some kind of pet project that sort of that made its way onto my roadmap because some executive or the founder, like you said, wa just wants to do this. Or the, the biggest customer. Exactly. Yeah. There's always going to be those kinds of projects. And I found that if you explain the why, 
well, we have to do it because our biggest customer really wants us to do it. And I know it's a pain, but there it is. That's going to go over better than just putting it on the roadmap and not explaining why you're doing it. Yeah. So it sounds like context is pretty important yeah. in these scenarios. Absolutely. Maybe we should talk about how to influence the engineering uh, or technical roadmap. Good segue. I always find that allowing room for some portion of the product roadmap to contain paying down technical debt or other infrastructure or just engineering focused work that needs to be done. It helps build trust with your engineers. Yeah. It tells them that you you value the work that they bring to the table and their opinions and their inputs into the product, which is always a great way to, to build a strong working relationship. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's also going to help you prevent technical debt down the road. If you always dedicate some portion of your roadmap to tech debt, to improving processes, uh, making things more performant, anything like that, then you're going to save yourself time in the long run because that stuff won't need to be done in an emergency when it has to be done. You, you allow your engineers a little bit of creativity to think of things that might need to be done before they become a problem. Yeah. And, and in my experience, I, I like to save at least 25% of the roadmap and have that focused on yeah. kind of technical projects. Either you kind of build that into your ongoing roadmap, you know, quarter by quarter, month by month, or eventually it'll it'll come to, to bite you and you'll just spend the entire quarter uh, working on technical projects that have to get done because your OS is about to be end of life, and <laughs> which has happened. Actual real world <laughs> example. Yeah. Good point. I like that. 25%. All right. So here's a question for you. How do you win an argument with an engineer? Aha, it's a trick question. You don't get in arguments with engineers. <laughs> yes, very true. That's that's such a huge, huge point. And I think that a lot of a lot of product managers don't grasp that concept that that it's okay to have differing opinions. In fact, it's actually a great thing to have differing opinions because that means that you're thinking through all aspects of a problem. You're not just following one point of view, but you can do that and you can discuss those different points of view without actually arguing. Yeah. And of course, some, some engineers just like to argue. I did see this once on Reddit where it said, arguing with an engineer is a lot like wrestling in the mud with a pig. After a couple of hours, you realize the pig kind of likes it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's that's so accurate. <laughs> yeah, I I know that one very well. It also helps just to tell them how smart they are uh, if you need to defuse a, a, a tense situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think everybody likes that. Of course. Yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> uh, a little a little boost to the ego always helps with the, yeah. you know, tied things over. That's just that's just good life advice. I think so, but really, it's got to, it's important that you, if you are engaging in a lively discourse with an engineer, uh, make sure you have your facts in order, right? Like know your data, be confident about the things that you do know, but don't try to like overreach uh, and and tell an engineer things that you're not a hundred percent comfortable with or don't fully believe or know yourself. And I think it's good to be open to learning as well, because when you go into a, what did you say, lively discourse yes. with someone who really knows their stuff, they may know something that you don't. And I think that's probably also good life advice. You know, it's not just a product management engineering thing, but anytime you're going into a discussion with someone who has a differing opinion, listen to them, make sure that they don't see another perspective that you haven't seen. Make sure that they don't have facts that you didn't know, that kind of thing. And they may, they may have them and you may change your mind. Hmm. It sounds like you might have a relevant anecdote that would highlight this. Hmm. 
Yes, I may. It's actually when I was just starting out in product management, I worked with an engineer who shall remain nameless. And we were working on a project and we just could not agree on a solution. Now, ordinarily, of course, products, I like to present problems and the engineer presents solutions. But in this particular case, the business needed a particular solution and the engineering team had some very definitive ideas about how it needed to be done that differed from what the business was asking for. So we went back and forth round after round. We just could not come to an agreement no matter how many times we talked about it. There was no compromise on either side. It finally took us learning to figure out how the other person was trying to communicate to be able to come up with a solution. So we stopped arguing and we started figuring out that we were both incredibly passionate about the product, incredibly passionate about our customers, and we gained a healthy respect for each other. And we continued to disagree throughout the rest of the time that we worked together, but we, we didn't argue anymore because we had learned to communicate. We learned how the other person liked to communicate and that helped us get through some of the disagreements. Out of curiosity, whose solution did you go with? Oh, we went with his. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, in the end, sometimes the engineer knows best. This is true. So I was actually having a, a beer with an engineering buddy of mine last weekend and uh, wanted to get his insight into what he thought were like good and bad uh, PM interactions. I thought those would be uh, good topics to uh, touch on today. Yeah, that's great. What kind of beer were you drinking? We were drinking, I think I was actually drinking a, a mojito, not a beer. Nice. His wife had made some lovely basil lime mojitos. Oh, that sounds good. It was nice. But yeah, he uh, he told me that what he what he really liked, kind of like we've already touched on, was knowing like the true voice of the customer and making sure that they were, he was he's getting constant updates on that. So it's not enough just to like have a single meeting ever and say this is the voice of the customer because obviously yeah. customers are dynamic. So is like the markets that they operate in. So is the business that you work for. You know your customers change over time their needs and problems change. And so it's it's good to have a regular cadence, you know, whether it be monthly or quarterly or whatever, where you are kind of providing the, those updates to them and, and keeping them in the loop about the changing business environment. Yeah, that's a really good point. I like that. Uh, something else that uh, I was told is, is helpful is when you when you can present a thoughtful, like long-term strategic roadmap that goes beyond just, you know, what are you building right now this quarter? Something on the horizon of like one to two years. Yeah. It builds credibility in your ab ability to think long-term to, you know, understand like where you want to go strategically. Absolutely. And that you're not just being reactionary. And I think that ultimately just builds confidence in your engineers that you know what you're doing. I like to stay away from engineering stereotypes, but I do think that a highly logical person is drawn to that particular job description. And I think that those people, highly logical people do like to know that there's a plan. They don't want to think that someone's just winging it. They don't want to think that, like you said, that you're just being reactionary. So that that definitely makes sense. I've heard the opposite as well. I've heard that, you know, you don't want to present engineers with too much work so that they don't feel overwhelmed. Well, that's just all about organization. You know, you have your roadmap in a separate place that you can show them, but the actual work is broken down into bite-sized pieces so that they don't feel overwhelmed. I think you can do both at once. Yeah. 
Definitely. And when you share that long-term roadmap with uh, engineers, they understand uh, what technical requirements or, or solutions need to be built over the time to accommodate that. So they're not just building for today, but, you know, building with for like the long-term. Yes, absolutely. That way you don't end up in that OS needs to be updated scenario exactly. that we talked about earlier. Uh, and yeah, and when engineers feel like they have a say and that they have some ownership in the direction of the product, let's say if they're defining like that 25% technical roadmap, it just helps build trust with them when they have ownership, a sense of ownership in the product, in the direction of the product, they're going to take more pride in their work and they're likely going to be more committed to you know delivering the features that you need. Yeah, that makes sense. What about bad PM interactions? I don't personally know what these are like because, you know, I I only... Obviously never had, yeah. I've never given them to anyone, but this is what I'm told. You know, a lot of reactionary, short-term, immediate turnaround kind of requests, the so-called drive-by. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, there are times where I might need a quick turnaround, but often, like, if that's a if that's a habit, if that's, like, frequently happening or that's just your mo as a as a pm it shows that you really don't have any ability to plan for the future if you're always planning and you've got your roadmap and one of those freak occurrences comes up where it is a drive-by where you do have to drop what you're doing and work on something else then it's the exception and not the rule and it goes over a lot better definitely yeah so try to uh be proactive rather than reactive nice We've talked about drive-bys, but what about features that don't seem like they line up with the overall vision of either the product or the company? Sometimes those features that just have to go out there. Yeah. And and sometimes these are like, these kind of fall in line with the pet projects we talked about earlier, or like the one-off customer request from your largest customer. Yeah. Uh, and like we said, sometimes they are like a necessary evil. And so like we'd said, building a little context around why we're doing this, it at least helps sometimes with the engineers understanding what's the motive. Yeah. Hopefully that's not how you build all of your features. Yes. Ideally, your product should not be some weird Frankenstein of one-off features. And I think it's good as a product manager also to continually ask yourself that question. Does this fit in with the vision of the company, the market that we're in? the roadmap of the particular team or department that I'm on. And as a product manager, you you have to keep asking yourself that question. And sometimes the answer is no. And that's when you need to tell someone else no. No, we can't have that feature. It just, it does not fit in with the overall strategy. Yeah. And, and sometimes all of these like problems, you know, drive-bys and disconnected features are not necessarily an indication of like a bad product organization. It could just be a symptom of a more disorganized, reactionary business. And so sometimes, absolutely, you know, sometimes you work for uh, an organization like that. Uh, but, you know, typically engineers are going to, they're only going to experience that through the requests that, you know, the PM gives them. So they'll, they'll tend to place the blame on you. Well, yeah, I don't know how to solve that problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think all you can do in that case is to be honest. You know, there's there's no point in obfuscating unless I guess there's a difference between obfuscating and being a filter. You know, you don't want to every single problem and every single thought process that goes into all of the decisions that the business makes to be put on into an engineer because in the end they are heads down coding hours and hours a day. But you do need to be honest about why decisions are being made. 
you know, if you can give them the high level, uh, a little bit of insight into that, that's, that's probably the only way you can really combat that feeling. Yeah. So what about the bad PM interaction of just treating an engineer like a code monkey, that they're just a job function that some engineers do, but they don't want to do it. They want to have some insight. They want to have some ownership over what's being built. And a lot of times companies just see them as code monkeys here, build this thing with no input why and no ownership over it. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I remember early in my like product career, I, I did have sometimes those thoughts where I'm like, well, I don't need to explain this to you. Like your job is just to, to build, just do it, just to build what, what I tell you to build. Yeah. Thinking like, well, clearly you can't understand why this customer ha- is having these problems. Or even just you wouldn't care. Yeah. That's, that's not important to you. Why, why would an engineer care? And of course, there's some engineers that don't care, but there's some product managers who don't care either. I don't think that's engineering specific, but I think overall, engineers want to know why they're building what they're building. Exactly. Yeah. I think to me, like context, giving them the context and the background of why you're doing something, what is the value to your customers, what is the value to your business, they appreciate that. Gives them, you know, a little bit of insight into how the company's product strategy or your product strategy works and they really they really enjoy yeah. that you know because at the end of the day most engineers are pretty smart people they can do more than code and they have interests outside of engineering so don't be afraid to get their inputs from like a business problem or just providing that that business context because a lot of times they do care and it does help build more meaningful and thoughtful product solutions absolutely so Aaron I have a very important question. Yes. What are you drinking this evening? Well, I'm drinking a home-brewed hazy pale ale, which I just kegged two weeks ago. And it is dry hopped with Citra, Nelson, and Rakao, which is a, uh, a New Zealand hop that is known for giving like a very peachy stone fruit kind of aroma. Of course, you're, you're, you're so extra. I, I can't compete with that. I've got a slow and low rye, which is a pre-mixed old fashioned that I just poured into, I kid you not, a red solo cup. <laughs> Keep it classy. Oh, I, do, I try. <laughs> Wait, they make pre-mixed Manhattans now? Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an old fashioned. Oh, old yeah. fashioned. And it's yeah. actually pretty good. I mean, it doesn't replace mixing up your own bitters and muddling the sugar cube with the bitters yourself. But in a pinch, it's actually really good. Nice. I'll have to give that a try sometime, but in a real glass. You don't like my solo cup? It's good for <laughs> frat parties. All right. All right. Next time I'll try and find a beer that rivals your home brew. No, there's just no way. There's no way. Yeah, I'm like running out of beers now. We're gonna we're gonna oh start doubling up on beers. I did. I also have a double IPA, but I decided I didn't want to drink that oh, while we're recording this, or I'd I'd be like I'd be slurring by the end. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this episode of working with engineers, which we were also calling dealing with engineers. But I think that sounds a little too negative. So. Working with engineers as a product manager. Let's work with them. And just remember, you can find all our latest episodes at theproductmanagers.com. All right. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye. Ciao. Adios. I feel like we need to learn some more languages.